Welcome to the Great Loop Radio Podcast brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. I'm Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. And today our topic is a great one for those of you who are still planning or even those of you who are on the loop and perhaps are ready for a refresher. We are going to be talking about some of the rules of the road. And Robert Rice, who is with the U.S. Coast Guard Auxiliary, he's an instructor for them, is going to be joining me. But before we jump into the conversation, I want to take just a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Curtis Stokes & Associates, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Great Loop Yacht Sales, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. And with the business out of the way, Rob Rice, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Kim. I'm glad to be here. Um, as, as you kind of said in the intro, um, I'm a member of the Coast Guard's uh, all-volunteer, uh, that is unpaid component, the Coast Guard Auxiliary, where I'm a boating safety instructor. I hold instructor qualifications from the American Sailing Association and have taught sailing for quite a long time now. So this is sort of right up my alley. Yeah, and you also have been moving your own boat um, along the Great Loop route for, God, do you know how many miles you've you've moved it from? Uh, I think the total it? is now close to a thousand and two jumps. Uh, we started out uh, north of St. Louis at Port Charles, moved at one hop to Great uh, Green Turtle Bay Marina, paused there to get a little bit of work done. And then the college student son and I just moved the boat about 750 miles from there to New Orleans, and I'm about to go back, pick up the boat, finish the move to home, which is in the Galveston Bay area. Yeah, so you've done a good portion of the Great Loop at this point, as well as yes. that stretch uh, from Mobile Bay towards Galveston, at least got to New Orleans, and that is a place a lot of loopers aspire to visit. So just real short detour before we get up to the actual topic, but how, how did you find the cruise from Mobile Bay to uh. New Orleans? So, uh, you know, having done uh, all of that stretch in the Western Rivers, uh, I was curious how that would play out. Mobile Bay is vast. Uh, it's a little hard to wrap your head around just how large Mobile Bay is. In the middle of it, you look left and you look right. You're not sure if you're actually seeing shoreline at all. Mm -hmm. You might not be. There's substantial commercial shipping traffic in Mobile Bay. Um, and then to make that right turn is mostly in protected waters behind Dolphin Island uh, off of the coast of Alabama and then into the ICW in protected waters. And then New Orleans, uh, you go right through all kinds of commercial shipping areas. Uh, we're in a marina just off of Lake Pontchartrain. Lake Pontchartrain is quite large, so there's some weather patterns there to deal with. Uh, and then when we finish the hop, we'll go through some of the busiest waters in New Orleans as we actually cross the Gulf, uh, the uh, Mississippi River, and through two of the busiest locks in, in that area. So we've got a lot of, lot of uh, interesting travel ahead of us. Yeah, from what uh, it's been described to me as a, a pretty commercial um, section mm -hmm. of the waterway, if you head for New Orleans, um, not a whole lot, um, although there are a few stops, but um, mm -hmm. not a whole lot for recreational vessels, but absolutely True. doable for those who have an interest. Yep. Uh, or for those who home port out of the Houston area, as you exactly. do, we have more and more loopers um, starting the loop from there. So they're tackling yes. that, you know, kind of challenging part right, right from right. the get go. Um, but today we want to talk about the rules of the road. And, and yes. we've covered this before. And, you know, I like to bring this up every so often um, because we do have lots of loopers who are new to boating um, and 
who couldn't use a refresher. Um, these are, we're, we're doing the absolute basics today, right. um, things that right. you really should know. And I think perhaps the most challenging for us in terms of educating loopers are probably the people who have been weekend boaters. Um, right. You know, I'm sure you're out near Galveston, um, Rob, and I've been out near Charleston in a small boat and it appears that there are no rules whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, I, and that, that I think is, a, is is definitely a challenge. Many recreational boaters have very little idea that there are navigational rules, collision rules uh, that they apply to recreational boats. Um, it, it, it's a real challenge. And certainly that's something we see in the Coast Guard Auxiliary as we teach basic boating safety courses. Typically, we find recreational boaters come to those classes with no idea at all that uh, how these things work. None. Yeah. And in a lot of states, a course like that is still not required. So a lot of people take yeah. to the boat and just hit the water and, um, you know, may have been boating for many years, but really not have a grasp on these rules of the road. And it, it exactly. never fails to pop up on social media that um, someone flying a, an AGLCA Virgie did something that was interpreted mm. as wrong impolite, yep. dangerous, the list goes on and on. And right. my take on that is that generally that is someone who is not trying to be discourteous and someone who's not trying to be unsafe. They simply don't know better. So today I'm hoping we can kind of start that or repeat because we, we do this every so often, but really kind of get the word out on here's the absolute basics and kind of plant that seed that there's more to know than just turn the key and go. So um, sure. You know, with that in mind, just to perhaps um, encourage some people to actually learn and understand and practice the rules of the road, let's start out with what is some of the penalties could be if you don't know them or if you don't practice them. Sure. So the, the navigation rules are really the same idea, roughly, as the fact that when you drive a car on the street or the highway, you have traffic laws that apply to you. There are rules of the road for cars. Uh, this is exactly the same idea. Uh, just like every car on the road has obligations uh, in terms of what the rules are, uh, same thing applies to boats. And boaters who don't know what the navigation rules are are likely to blunder into a dangerous situation that they've contributed to or created because of their lack of knowledge or lack of understanding how to respond in a particular situation or not knowing what to do. Uh, and either cause an accident, contribute to an accident, uh, and very likely um, found to be at fault for some part of the causation of that accident. Now that, that's that, that's sort of the basic problem. Um, the uh, one thing I would urge boaters to do is get yourself a physical copy of the rules of the road. You can you can download them and save them on a laptop or tablet or phone. Uh, but it's, uh, I think, much easier to look at them, to think about them, to pick up a physical paperback copy of the book and thumb through it to get uh, to look things up as you go along. I think that enhances learning and that's uh, super easy to do. Yeah. Uh, the NAV rules do require that most looper sized boats are mandated to carry a copy of the rules. So vessels 12 meters and over are required under rule one to actually carry a copy of the rules on board. And that can be a digital copy at this point, as it long can. as it's readily accessible, uh, correct? The U.S. Coast Guard guidance from a couple of years ago is that a digital copy is acceptable as long as it is a locally downloaded, locally stored copy accessible without an internet connection. So save that PDF to phone, tablet, or laptop, uh, and you're good to go. You can easily find um, the NAV rules 
the fastest search would be USCG uh, navigation rules. And the first one, two, or three uh, results are going to be directly to the Coast Guard's website and a copy you can download and save. NOAA, the weather and mapping folks, publishes the same thing in a slightly different version. Uh, the Coast Pilot books published by NOAA include the NAV rules as a chapter, I think, at the back of the book for each of them. Um, and then you can buy paperback copies um, from uh, all kinds of marine supply outfits. Yeah. So let, let's start with some of the basics um, that, you know, don't even yet get into, um, you know, overtaking stand on vessel. Mm -hmm. Let's just start with... <laughs> Um, you know, things like maintaining watch, you know, tell us what's required. Oh, absolutely. So we'll, we'll start with the super basics. And that is yeah. uh, no surprise here. The rules require every vessel and vessel, basically anything is anything that floats uh, and can move about on the water. So uh, a looper boat is very definitely a vessel within the meaning of the navigation rule. So uh, rule five says that every vessel must uh, at all times, maintain a proper lookout, both by sight and by hearing, uh, to be situationally aware. Super, super, super important. Uh, essentially, what this means is you have to be actually paying, actually and actively be paying attention to what's going on around you. Uh, you have to resist the temptation, which I think is hard, uh, to be playing with your phones reading a paperback book with your feet propped up on the helm, you know, sort of steering with your left foot. Uh, you can do that in a, in a boat where you can't really in a car unless you're driving a self-driving car, in which case you probably shouldn't be any, anyway. Mm -hmm. um, but you have to be actively engaged in paying attention. The rules also um, requires you to actively use all available means uh, appropriate in the circumstances to evaluate the situation around you. Pretty clearly that all available means piece means that if you have radar, you need to know how to use it and when appropriate, you need to be using it. Um, and if you have AIS, I think by implication, the rule means that if you have AIS, you should be using it, paying attention to it and know what it is and uh, how to use it. I think the best time to learn how to use radar is on a bright sunny day where you can see everything around you, turn the radar on and start figuring out what the radar display means. Perfect. Um, you know, some of the other basics, and you mentioned um, both visually and hearing as part of keeping watch. Um, in addition to maintaining watch, you know, looking for other boats, looking for debris, looking for obstructions, um, lights are part of kind of these basics as are sound signals. So let's right. kind of so tackle those two. Lights, super important. Um, so there are four kinds of lights um, that a boat must have, vessel must have. Your red and green uh, side lights, um, obviously those are required. Uh, a masthead light and a stern light, although if your vessel is a little bit smaller on the smaller end of a looper size, so under 12 meters, the masthead light plus the stern light can be combined into a single all-around white light. Otherwise, you have a separate masthead light that points mostly forward and then a separate stern light, which shows a sector uh, at the rear, uh, and then an anchor light. You have those come into play uh, from sunset across the night to sunrise and any time in limited visibility. So, for example, uh, coming down the Tom Bigby River on a day that was supposed to be 
pretty okay overcast with the occasional scattered uh, light rain. We got some very heavy bands of rain, two very heavy bands of rain, which turned day into almost night. Uh, and so in the middle of the day, I'm turning on my navigation lights. Uh, I think an important point there is know which switches turn on which set of lights so that you're not scrambling. Okay, did I just turn on the anchor light or did I turn on my masthead light? Uh, you want to know what you've turned on and be confident about that. But the important part there is at night or in limited visibility, you need to be displaying those lights as required. You need to check every once in a while that the lights still display correctly. And then, of course, if you anchor out, that's when you need to be using that anchor light. So the anchor light is an all-around white light. Uh, not required if you're in a marina or if you're in certain kinds of Coast Guard designated anchorages, typically not our issue for loopers. Uh, but if you're just anchored out along the side of the river or uh, someplace uh, in an inlet off the ICW, uh, you need to display that anchor light. The rules say uh, that a vessel may also display additional lights to illuminate its deck in addition to the anchor light. And I think that's a wise idea. So aboard my boat, we have some long life LED lanterns. One of them goes on the foredeck, one goes in the aft cockpit. One goes on the flybridge. I want it to be super obvious at 3 a.m. Uh, that my boat is there. It's not going anywhere. And I don't please don't want to be run down by a barge or a fisherman headed out at 3 a.m. to get to his favorite fishing spot at sunrise. Yeah, great advice. And, you know, especially um, a lot of loopers don't plan to be out and yeah. it's a different story, but don't yeah. plan to be navigating at night. But right. the, um, you know, less than ideal weather happens. Yeah, less than <laughs> ideal weather can catch you. So that that happened to me on the Tong Bigby in one of those stretches where the river snakes almost in complete figure eights. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was a short but uh, brutally hard band of rain that blew through. So for about half an hour, uh, it was incredibly hard rain. And so very, very limited visibility. Uh, and that was an instance where we actually turned around and went back upstream to find a safer spot to wait out the rainstorm. Yeah. And in addition to that, um, you know, sometimes you're delayed by a lock or something else. Absolutely. And you can be out there yep. after dark when that wasn't originally in your plan. So I Absolutely. love the idea of, you know, knowing where the switches are, being real comfortable with reaching right out and, and getting yep. to the right switches to make sure you've got everything you need. Yep. Um, we've Absolutely. got a lot we want to cover today. Let's take a quick break. Um, Actually, let's go on to sound signals okay. because I did mention that. And before we cut that off, let's go ahead and talk about the sound signals a little bit. So sound signals are one of those things that almost no recreational boaters know anything about. Every commercial mariner knows exactly what the sound signals are, how to use them, and what they mean. Almost no recreational boaters do. So if you give a proper sound signal to a recreational boater because you're going to pass them, you're probably going to get a signal back, but it's going to be a rude hand signal. Uh, rather than a, a repeat of the sound signal or some comprehension. But it's still important, you know, because the uh, collision rules, the navigation rules require use of sound signals in certain circumstances. So I want to talk first about some non-meeting and passing sound signals, too, that you may well hear. One is one prolonged blast, and that has uh, two possible meanings in different circumstances. One is a vessel coming around a bend or past some obstruction, which makes it hard to see uh, potential oncoming traffic, is going to give one prolonged blast to alert uh, somebody around the corner, if you will, uh, here I come. 
the proper response is one prolonged blast in response to let that vessel know that, yep, I'm here, I'm coming too. We're both gonna, we both need to be paying attention. Um, the other meaning of one prolonged blast is a vessel about to pull away from a pier or dock or berth will give one prolonged blast as a warning to surrounding vessels that, okay, I'm about to come off my mooring uh, and head out. Uh, the second one, and this one is actually really important. You probably won't ever hear it. You hope you won't. And that is five or more short rapid blasts. And that is sort of a danger or doubt signal. So that happens when a vessel can't figure out what somebody else is doing and thinks the other vessel is about to blunder into or has blundered into danger. Uh, if you hear that, if you hear five or more short or rapid blasts, on a horn, particularly if you hear it from something that sounds low, rumbly, and just a bit bass to the note, that is a big vessel. There's actually a rule that regulates the tone of uh, the horn blasts, uh, and larger vessels have a more rumbly, more bass note, smaller vessels a higher note. Uh, but if you hear that five or more short rapid blasts on the horn, the first thing that should happen is you should snap instantly awake your head is on a swivel and you, you want to figure out, am I the one who's blundered into danger? What's the issue? Uh, where is this vessel that's just given this sound signal? What do I need to do to stay safe? Excellent. And while we're talking about sound signals, let's go ahead and cover um, the one and two whistles um, because okay. they do originate back to the days of sound Exactly. Um, so, but they're now called over the VHF. So go ahead and almost always, that right? <laughs> right. So I traveled close to a thousand miles in the rivers in ICW, and I never once heard uh, an actual sound signal. I talked to a bunch of barge uh, towboat captains, uh, and we had this conversation as if we were making sound signals. That's the most common thing. So there are two sound signals uh, a one whistle and a two whistle. Uh, and actually uh, was at a meeting of uh, sponsored by the local Coast Guard Command about a year ago of towboat captains and recreational boaters. And one of the towboat captains explained it this way, which I thought is just brilliant. Let's think about an analog clock and your boat is pointing towards 12 o'clock. And uh, just to the right is one o'clock with the number one and just to the left is 11. But think of that 11 as a Roman numeral two. So here I am bebopping along and I need to either meet or pass a vessel in front of me. If I'm going to shift my boat uh, ever so slightly even to my right, to my starboard, I'm now pointing at one o'clock. That's a one whistle meter, a one whistle pass. On the other hand, if I'm going to shift my boat the other way, a little bit towards my left, I'm pointing now at Roman numeral two. That's a two whistle meeting or pass. And that works whether you're meeting head to head or whether you're overtaking and passing that way. Yeah, and I'm glad uh, you shared the clock analogy because that is once the you, Once way. you get that picture in your head, it's super obvious and super easy to keep straight. But here's the way it typically works. So uh, I'm coming down the river and I see off in the distance a uh, barge string approaching me going upstream. Uh, in my travels, I have uh, had AIS receive only on my boat. Uh, so I know the name of the towboat that's pushing that barge string. So I pick up the VHF radio and I call the towboat because I know their name. This is super easy. And that's going to sound something like, let's say the tug is Mary Rose. It's going to sound something like Mary Rose, Mary Rose. This is slow dancing. That's me. Channel 13. And I'm going to say channel 13 because I'm going to be on channel 13, which is the 
uh, bridge to bridge or ship's helm to ship's helm uh, navigational coordination channel. That's where all the commercial vessels are going to be doing this kind of thing and where they're expecting you, even as a recreational boater, they're expecting you to call them on channel 13. But I'm going to say channel 13 because that tugboat captain probably has three radios at least on the helm. Uh, and if I say channel 13, it ups the obs. He, he grabs the right microphone to respond back to me. So the response, and I'm going to say, Mary Rose, Mary Rose, this is uh, Pleasure Craft, Slow Dancing, Channel 13. And I'm probably going to get a response that sounds like, uh, go ahead, Pleasure Craft. And I'm going to say, sir, I'm the Pleasure Craft about a half a mile above you, uh, off your bow. Which side would you like me on? He's the guy pushing like an entire warehouse full of stuff up the river who can't maneuver. So I want to know what he wants me to do to be safe. He's probably plied that river stretch once a week for the last three years or something. He really knows what he's doing. And the response is going to be something like this. He's going to say, well, let's do, let's do a one whistle pass port to port. He's probably going to say it that way. About half the barge captains did because they don't know whether I actually know what a one whistle pass means. My response to him would be, got it. One whistle port to port. Thank you, sir. I want to echo back to him what he just said. That way, I do two things. One is we both confirm what the plan is. And the other thing is I kind of cement it in my head so that I actually do the right thing. It gives him a chance to say, whoa, 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 that's not what I said. Uh, we want to make sure we're both in clear agreement about what the plan is. That's all you got to do. Yeah. And it's Super very easy. simple. Um, the, the analog clock analogy, mm -hmm. um, I think, is key. Uh, mm -hmm. People just seem to get it when you explain it that way. It, it's um, the most, once you hear it, it's super obvious and really easy to keep in your head and write and to picture in the moment when you're looking up or down the river, the uh, canal or ICW and have this barge ahead of you or approaching you and you're trying to figure out what to do. Yeah, exactly. The other thing so, I would say about mm -hmm. that meeting or passing thing, right, is uh, there certainly other places, for example, in the Western Rivers and in the Mississippi, for example, upper Mississippi, the river can be three quarters of a mile wide easily with 90% of it pretty deep. Uh, that barge captain is going to keep his string of barges in the marked channel, but there's absolutely no reason why a recreational boat can't just get out of the channel where it's 30 foot deep uh, and just stay out of the way. And then you never have to worry about even being close to them. That's really easy to do. There's plenty yeah. of water depth in most places, so that's just never an issue. Yeah, and every once in a great while you'll car, call the uh, barge towboat uh, captain, and you just never get a response. Mm -hmm. That happened once or twice, and in those cases, I just made my best judgment where I thought I could be safe. Hugged one bank or the other, uh, looked for a little wider spot typically, and then hugged one bank or the other. Went really slow so I could maintain position in a good spot and just let him go past me and waved at him as he went by. Who knows why he didn't respond? Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, always, of course, use, use caution moving out of the channel. When we were coming down last fall, yes. the rivers were extremely low. Um, so right. the width, first of all, when the, you know, the river's down 20 feet, the width is not what it usually is, and neither is the depth um, right. anywhere along there. So, you know, obviously, leaving the channel, always be cautious. But in general, exactly. in the rivers, there's plenty of space there on the Western rivers in particular. Right. We're going to talk right. a little bit about what to do, um, you know, some considerations for kind of narrower channels too, as we mm. continue the conversation. Um, I also want to mention, since we we're just talking about the one and two whistle, and that's commonly used with commercial traffic, 
Um, we do have scheduled for next week on the podcast is um, a commercial towboat captain that works primarily in New York Harbor. Great idea. And as there are lots of uh, loopers in the New York Harbor area right now, he's going to share what he wishes loopers knew about dealing with some of the commercial traffic. So, uh, And uh, what, I, what I came away from this conversation, which was sponsored by the local uh, Coast Guard Command Center here, um, and they brought um, commercial towboat captains and recreational boaters together to, to have a conversation about all this kind of stuff. And what the towboat captain said was, call us. You know, our interest is getting about our day safely. We don't want to run you over. There's too much paperwork. I mean, we don't want to run you over. You know, call us and let's talk about it. And if you're not sure, if I say, let's have a two-whistle pass, and you don't know what that means, don't be bashful about saying, uh, what does that mean exactly? Uh, and just use words to say it out loud. Like so many things in life, it really just comes down to effectively communicating. <laughs> so um, Absolutely. that's all that, yeah. So, okay, let's go ahead and take that break I mentioned. When we come okay. back, I want to go ahead and dive into, um, you know, some words that if you have not had any boat boating training, things like stand on or give way vessel and what that means and who does what is probably kind of confusing to you. So we'll dive into that when we come back. We'll be back okay. in a moment. Dawtaw Island created by nature and reserved just for you. A hidden gem of the South Carolina Lowcountry, Dawtaw Island is a private community catering to the active lifestyle. Golf, tennis, pickleball, croquet, bocce, 33-acre nature preserve, and the full-service Dawtaw Island Marina. Just outside of historic Beaufort, South Carolina, and a short ride to Charleston, Savannah, and Hilton Head. Reserve your overnight stay and call ahead to arrange use of the island's amazing amenities. Marine Tech Services is on-site to cater to all your repairs and maintenance. Destination, Dawtaw Island. Visit Dawtaw.com. That's D-A-T-A-W.com. Schwartz & Company Yacht Sales is a boutique yacht sales organization and a proud supporter of AGLCA, Loopers, and Adventurous Souls throughout the Great Lakes. We are the exclusive representative for American Tug throughout the Great Lakes region, including the Canadian provinces of Ontario and Quebec. We are very active in the yacht brokerage market on both the buy side and sell side, providing our guidance and resources to valued customers. We also work with shipbuilders, both in the US and abroad to bring our customers unique dreams to life. We welcome the opportunity to earn your business. We're back on Great Loop Radio. Today, my guest is Robert Rice. He is an instructor with the Coast Guard Auxiliary, um, and he is out in the Houston, Texas area where he provides classes. And uh, we are just moving on to talk about stand on and give way vessels. So let's start again, you know, with the basics. Go ahead and define those two things for us. Okay, so that concept uh, that in any meeting or crossing situation, one vessel is always stand on and one vessel is always give way is fundamental to being able to understand uh, basically all the rest of the navigation rules. So the idea is this, uh, except in one narrow circumstance, which I'll come back to later, nobody has right of way. Uh, one vessel has stand on, one vessel has give way, but each vessel has obligations. They both have obligations to uh, help make sure that the meeting or crossing situation goes safely. So let's think about this way. Stand-on vessel is the one that keeps doing what it's doing, maintains course and speed, and does nothing crazy, right? You need to be super predictable. That's the whole point. So that the other vessel, the give-way vessel, can maneuver safely around you 
uh, uh, secure in the knowledge, we hope, that you're not going to do anything crazy. The giveaway vessel has the obligation to get out of the way. I sometimes say that the giveaway vessel is the get the heck out of the way or keep out of the way vessel. Their obligation is to maneuver safely, to make changes in course and speed necessary to safely uh, avo avoid any risk of collision. One important uh, point for the giveaway vessel is that the giveaway vessel needs to make any changes to course and speed uh, as substantial changes. So don't change speed uh, by dropping your speed one knot or two knots. Uh, change speed by cutting your speed in half. Uh, don't make a five degree course change, make a 45 degree course change. It needs to be really big so that the stand on vessel can understand what you're doing and know that you're actually taking active action to avoid the risk of a collision. Now, there is one circumstance where there is uh, somebody actually has right of way, and that means that the vessel with right of way has sort of a superior right to navigate and everybody else has to get out of the way. And that is in the Western rivers, the Mississippi, Ohio, Tennessee, Tom Bigby, where there's substantial commercial shipping traffic. In the Western rivers, a downbound vessel with a following current has right of way and everybody else has an obligation uh, to avoid a little different situation. The important thing is everybody has obligations uh, in a meeting or crossing situation where there's any risk of collision. So let's talk about what those obligations are and let's, you know, again, mm -hmm. break it down. Let's start with a crossing situation where two boats paths will be crossing sure. if nobody changes course. Okay. The navigation rules are really not that hard. Uh, and the ones we're going to talk about, if you cast your mind back to your misspent youth when you did driver's ed, uh, most of the rules are actually pretty similar to what you learned in driver's ed. So let, let's go back to driver's ed and think about what happens when two cars uh, arrive at a like a neighborhood intersection where there's stop signs and it's a four-way stop. Two cars arrive simultaneously, say one on the north street and one on the east side. Uh, who goes first? Well, uh, your rules of the road say that the car on the right-hand side most right-hand side goes first. It's just an arbitrary rule. Somebody's got to go first. It's actually the same thing for boats. It's even easier with boats because there's a visual reminder. So let's think about this. Uh, here we've got our vessel. We've got a second vessel. They're approaching sort of at right angles. The, the vessel that has the other one on its starboard side is give way. Well, that means the one over here right-hand most is stand on it it goes first but let's think about what the navigation lights are on that vessel over here if i've got if, if i'm vessel a and i've got vessel b over here to my starboard side if i look over here at vessel b which navigation light am i going to see i'm going to see his port side navigation light which is red think about that like as a red light at a stoplight this vessel over here to the starboard side looks out to the vessel over here off uh, its port side. It's going to see the green navigation light on this vessel. Think of that as the green light on a stoplight. It actually is pretty easy when you when you start thinking about the navigation lights. And, and that, I'm pretty sure, is in intentional in the design of the way the navigation lights are rigged on boats. Uh, part of the idea behind the navigation lights is you can easily figure this stuff out at night. Uh, just by looking at the lights. There's sort of a whole art and science of understanding all the possible 
lights, loopers don't have to figure that out, but you do need to understand red and green to have lights. That actually helps you figure out these meeting and crossing situations. The other thing about uh, a meeting or crossing situation like that is if you're uh, crossing, the giveaway vessel should always avoid trying to pass in front of the stand on vessel. Because if you misjudge the speed or the circumstances, now you're stranded yourself right in front of the stand on vessel who's going to plow into you. So the, the, the give way vessel should either wait or pass behind the um, stand on vessel. That's actually baked into rule 15, a re requirement to avoid crossing in front of uh, the stand on vessel. Okay, so we got it for crossing situations. Mm -hmm. Um, let's talk about in a meeting situation. Um, meeting. Who is the so, stand-on vessel head. and who is the giveaway? Mm -hmm. Right, head to head. So I'm from Texas, so I always explain it like this. So let's suppose we're out in the middle of nowhere, Texas, on a little narrow country road, and we're driving our beat-up old pickup truck straight down the middle of the country road. And off in the distance, we see another person in their beat-up old pickup truck coming towards us. What are you going to do? Are you going to stay in the middle of the road? and say, buddy, you got to get out of my way. Are you going to slide to your left? Are you going to slide to your right? Well, you would slide to your right. Cars drive on the right-hand side of the road. Works the same way for boats. In a head-to-head -head situation, each vessel, this, this is a circumstance where both vessels have an equal obligation to do the same thing. That is, both vessels have an obligation to slide off to the side of the channel uh, towards their starboard side, to slide to their right, so each vessel slides to its respective right-hand starboard side to give each other space, and then they pass port to port. Super easy. Perfect. Super easy. And uh, if you are um, keeping track, if you're meeting someone and you're going to point your boat a little bit to the right, then you are moving to the one whistle. <laughs> That's correct. Yes, right with so. with a barge, right with a commercial with a string of barges, we're going to have that conversation with the barge captain particularly in the Western rivers, where those rivers can be very windy, uh, that barge captain has to maneuver a, what is potentially a very long and very wide string of barges. And uh, they're going to take one side or the other of the river uh, uh, in order to be able to easily swing that barge string around. So they, they have definite opinions on where's the safest place for you, which is why rather than simply relying on the idea yeah, I'm just going to slide off to my right and I'm going to assume the barge captain is going to do the same thing. You need to have that conversation with the barge captain. Absolutely. Um, we actually had a, a circumstance just, uh, I guess, over the weekend where pretty narrow channel um, could see on AIS that there was a barge coming. Um, and there was also a little group of boats beached just along the <clears> riverbank <throat> and people in the water yes. swimming. And yes. the, um, the barge Been captain there, done that, got said, the t-shirt. Yep, the barge captain said, you just hold right there yeah. rather than I'll see you on the one or the two. I'm yeah, and, and I will and That works too. We were praises. more than happy. Yeah, yeah. we were more than I'm happy. I'm going to sing the praises of AIS for exactly that kind of situation. And for me, yeah. it was in this blinding rainstorm in a place where the Tennessee River snaked almost in a complete figure eight and another big uh, flood or two and the 500 yards of land separating the two loops were probably going to dissolve and it would be Oxbow Lakes uh, separated by a much more direct river. So I could see the barge captain around the loop about 500 yards to my left. I couldn't actually see him because of the trees, but I knew he was there. And so I had this conversation with the barge captain. He said, look, this rain is crazy. I'm actually just pushing my string of barges up against the shore and I'm staying put. 
I said, you know, I think it's going to be safer if I, I come ahead and get past you before you crank it up again. It's like, yeah, absolutely. Come on, bring it on, brother. Yeah. Oh, and again, it, it all boils down to the communication and recognizing absolutely. that these tow captains um, know their stuff. Um, so they, whatever they advice do, they're right? giving and, you and is really yeah, important to follow. They know the river. They know where it's safe for them to be. They know yeah. where the wide spots or the tricky spots are. They know, know how they're going to have to maneuver to be able to nudge their string of barges around curves. Their interest is going home safe at the end of the day. They don't want to run you over. They want you to go home safe. And so, you know, don't be bashful about reaching out to them and say, you know, Captain, what would you like me to do? What do you think is going to be safest for both of us here? Yeah. Well, and they are going to be much more pleased if you contact them multiple times on the radio to get clarification. Yes. Than if you just Absolutely. maintain radio silence and nobody knows Absolutely. what's going on. So, um, Absolutely. They would much prefer that. Um, so we, we talked about crossing. We talked about um, meeting. Let's talk about an overtaking situation back to, you know, our, our giveaway okay. and our stand on vessel. Uh, I'll go back to my driver's ed example. You're driving down the freeway and I don't know, somebody's grandpa is driving way too slow on the freeway. Did you just run him over? Uh, no, of course not. You, you recognize that the car in front of you is driving slower than you are and that you need to safely pass so you're probably going to swing out into the left lane with when it's safe to do so get past them get back into the correct lane and then keep going you're going to do the same sort of thing in a in a boat so this is particularly important for the vessel that is slower being overtaken to maintain course and speed so that the the vessel passing you the faster one overtaking uh can judge uh, how to do that in a safe way the slower overtaken vessel maintains course and speed, maybe goes ahead before that pass happened and slides off to their starboard a little bit to give the overtaking, the faster vessel, a little extra room to manage that pass. The overtaking vessel uh, passes and then goes on their merry way. This is certainly a place for you to manage your wake. Uh, I know in my boat, if I'm blowing along it, uh, the fuel gulping speed of 15 knots, it throws up an enormous wake. And so I'm not going to pass people at 15 knots, uh, even another looper size boat, because I'm going to toss them around. I'm certainly not going to pass a smaller boat at that speed. So I'm going to slow way down, figure out what I'm doing, and then sort of pass them at the slowest speed I can manage and still pass them um, so that I have the least wake effects uh, around me. Yeah. And I just want to point out there because. Um wakes is another thing that tends to blow up on social yes. media quite a bit yeah. um and one thing that i have learned along the way and I'll, I'll take this back to the kind of the driver's ed thing as well <laughs> um if you are the slower boat and you are being overtaken maintaining speed and course is important but communicating with that other boat and offering to, you also to slow down as long as they know that you're doing that you know right. if you're at 10 knots and they're at 17 if you maintain 10 knots, they have to maintain a pretty decent speed to get around you. Right. So, slow, you know, if you are interested in not being waked, <laughs> mm -hmm. it also helps a lot if the stand-on vessel in that particular situation slows a bit. Because if you're slower, they can pass you more slowly and therefore not wake you as much. Absolutely. Um, and that is something and I think, you know, is not really necessarily part of the of rules, good it's the communication. Um, you certainly yeah. don't want to confuse the vessel that's overtaking you with your speed, um, but slowing right. down can result in you having less of a wake. And that kind of brings us to, um, you know, that is certainly one consideration for a narrow channel, but um, 
are there any other considerations? You know, we talked about the, the vastness of the Western rivers and it's possible to dip out of the channel a little bit in most cases. Um, right. Some narrow waterways, that is not the That's case. That's not an so option. What right. are the other considerations for those areas? So uh, NAB rule nine tells uh, smaller vessels, in this case, uh, 20 meters or under, that you have an obligation not to impede the passage of a, a larger vessel that can only navigate inside the marked channel. Uh, this uh, is both when you're traveling along in a channel or when you're crossing a channel. Uh, and if you're in waterways uh, with uh, large amounts of commercial traffic, there's actually a separate rule specifically for very busy ports that says the same thing, that, that if you have uh, a traffic management system with dedicated shipping lanes, uh, smaller vessels have to cross those at right angles uh, and cannot impede uh, the commercial shipping. One thing that's important to understand is that uh, if you are um, along a, a commercial waterway and you can see a commercial vessel approaching you basically head on, it's very deceptive about how far they are away and how fast they're moving. And they're probably closer and moving faster than you think. Uh, the perspective of somebody coming towards you makes, makes it very difficult to gauge uh, just uh, what that distance is. That's, that's an area where you wouldn't exercise caution and where AIS can help you because you can look at, uh, you can see that AIS target. Most, nearly all maybe, commercial vessels are actually going to have AIS transponders and be transmitting as they're required. Um, and so you'll be able to see the commercial vessel on your chart plotter display, uh, and you can see their speed and you can see their range uh, by the placement of their little icon on your chart plotter. Um, and if you have your chart plotter set up with range rings, you can then see uh, pretty easily how far away they are. Um, but you just need to be really cautious about crossing or traveling in a busy commercial waterway. The problem, of course, is a large commercial cargo ship has very poor visibility looking forward from their pilot house. There's a very large blind spot where they just can't see right in front of them. Uh, it's blocked by the bow of the ship. Uh, and they can run you over, not have seen you at all, and, and won't even know that they've run you over. They won't feel it. Uh, so you need to stay well out of the way of commercial cargo ships. And, of course, for a very large cargo ship, uh, a tanker or a freighter, uh, it requires an enormous uh, distance for them to stop. And if they're in, uh, like in my home waters in Galveston Bay, the Houston Ship Channel, of course, is this trench cut in the bottom of the very shallow Galveston Bay. Uh, a commercial ship cannot turn out of the channel, literally cannot. Uh, the bay is about nine feet and a cargo ship needs about 20. Uh, they, they literally cannot turn out of the channel. So if you blunder into their path, there's not much they can do. Um, so it requires real caution on the part of uh, recreational boaters if you're around the, the cargo ships or freighters, uh, that kind of thing. Yeah, we have barely scratched the surface really of the navigation rules and that's all we can do in this kind right. of format in this time frame um for those of you who have have been inspired to uh learn more um there are courses around yes. the country um and I'll, I'll let um rob tell us a little bit about how to find those but rob also did a i think it was an eight-part basic boating mm -hmm. safety series of webinars for aglca 
Right. Those are available free to our members on our website. If you just um, log in with your membership account and go to the information <laughs> menu, you'll see webinars and you can access it from there. Um, yeah, we did. Uh, uh, I think I think that's yeah. right. Eight topics and spent about an one to two hours on each topic to do a little bit of a deeper dive than you would get, say, in a in a short basic boating safety class. Yes, and we all learn differently. But um, mm -hmm. if you are an in person learner, where can people perhaps find? A, a uh, so there are two take? really good resources. Um, I'm a member of the Coast Guard Auxiliary, so I'm going to tell you first about the Coast Guard Auxiliary's uh, boating courses. And if you go to cgaux, cgaux.org, um, and look for public education, you can do a find a class uh, listing, plug in your zip code, and it will give you uh, locations where you can go to an in-person, live instructor-led in-person boating safety course. The basic boating safety course is one day, covers all of the state law required basic boating safety education components. Almost almost all states, that boating safety class is pretty much the same because all the state boating law administrators are working from the same sort of core curriculum agreed on between the states. So that there's a sort of state reciprocity. If you're a traveling boater and you have a National Association of State Boating Law Administrators compliant safe boating course, which basically all of them are, then you should be good every place you go. Yeah, and also uh, about the courses... Uh... I just want to stress that there is one state, at least one state on the loop that requires mm -hmm. that for transiting voters. Um, New Jersey yeah. requires it now. Um, New York and Florida, I believe, are both phasing it in. Um, so you need to do this before you start it, the Great Loop. You do, and, it, and it's uh, the boating safety course is uh, the basic orientation, the classroom course, basic orientation to all the fundamental sort of safety issues related to being safer on the water not a how to operate your boat kind of class, but let's let's figure out how to be safe. Um, but So the Coast Guard Auxiliary uh, local groups teach that all the time. Uh, it should not be hard to find one of those wherever you are. Yeah, uh, the Coast Guard Auxiliary also teaches more in-depth classes. Um, the one, the eight-part series that I did, I worked from the curriculum called uh, Boating Skills and Seamanship. That's a multi-part instructor-led course usually 10 to 12 sessions, uh, much more in-depth than the one-day um, basic boating safety class. Uh, the other organization that teaches this kind of thing uh, on a regular basis is um, U.S. Power Squadron, uh, now branded America's Boating Club, same outfit. Uh, they have local groups. They do boater safety education as well. Uh, their basic boating safety class is very similar to the one I teach because we're all working from the same curriculum developed by the National Association of State Boating Law Administrators. They're very similar. Uh, and uh, Power Squadron also does other kinds of boating safety, boating education courses. Both groups are great organizations. Uh, if you're looking for a, uh, a way to get involved with a group of like-minded boaters, find one in your area, see what they've got to offer. Uh, certainly check out their courses and if uh, joining one of them and, and uh, becoming a more involved educated boater is, is something you want to do, either organization is a good choice. Uh, if you're a sailor, American Sailing Association and maybe to a less degree U.S. Sailing offer all kinds of sailing courses. Uh, ASA has a network of sailing schools all over the place, quite a few of them. They offer obviously sailing classes. Uh, but much of what happens in those classes, probably 75% or better, is real, uh, pretty applicable to a power boater as well. 
just not the messing with the sales part. Um, lots of, so lots of options. And then of course you can hire a training captain to work with you one-on-one, -on -one, uh, go to an in-person sort of school, Chapman School of Seamanship in, where is that, Florida, does in-person classes. There's some other places like that. So there are plenty of options for getting some more better education. And the other thing is just spend time on your own boat, uh, you know, make uh, sort of learn to walk before you run, uh, smaller ventures before you do bigger ventures, uh, learn as you go, uh, and then do some self-study. Yeah. Robert Rice, great information shared today. Thank you for being with us. We really appreciate you uh, sharing your knowledge and expertise. Thanks. Glad to be here. Yeah, and to everyone who has watched or listened today, we will be back next week with another episode of the Great Loop Radio podcast. Uh, next week, we should be featuring a New York Harbor towboat captain, so that'll be a real interesting discussion. We'll look forward to seeing you then. Until then, safe cruising. Mm -hmm.